Are you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Excellence Mindset podcast. I am excited and fortunate today to have with me Robert Valentino. He is a Lean Six Sigma consultant. I got that right and didn't mess it up, so <laughs> we're off to a, a good start already. So um, why don't, Robert, you first just share a little bit about who you are and maybe a little bit about that intriguing Lean Six Sigma idea. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I'm, I'm excited about being here as well, too. And a lot of people, when they find out that I'm a master black belt in Lean Six Sigma, they think I'm going to do a karate demonstration. <laughs> You're not? It's not even close to being the same uh. thing. Um, I think the best way to kind of liken it was I was sitting in my MBA class, one of my um, favorite classes, Strategic Operations, and we were studying Lean Six Sigma in the details, and a light went off. I realized that when I was in the military, my six and a half years in the military, everything that we did had the mindset and the culture of Lean Six Sigma. A lot of people don't realize this, but the military was a very early adopter of these philosophies, and they've ingrained it into their culture all the way to the lowest level. And a lot of my success and my team's success came from following those principles. So at that moment, I determined, I was determined that no matter what I did, I want to learn as much about this methodology and philosophy as much as possible and try to take it to as many organizations as possible. So I continued my study in Lean Six Sigma. Um, after I graduated, I got recruited to help turn around a small company in manufacturing with the task of implementing lean strategies from the ground up. This was a pretty big opportunity for somebody with my skill set. And the fact that this company launched five tools with Toyota for the very first time that year. And my job was a partner with them to see a very successful launch. And we had some tremendous results that came from that, talking about improving one area by 136% efficient within two months. Wow. So using these tools, we're really just opening up everyone's eyes on how, how efficient you can really become. I was then recruited to go and work for Amazon, which is a phenomenal company. And the lean journey there is tremendous. Think about an entrepreneurship type of company on a global scale. And we were encouraged to do anything that we can think of and just invent on the fly and do a lot of really neat things with Amazon. And throughout my career there, I was asked to go from one department to the next to the next to help turn around these areas with fantastic success. I gained a really neat reputation for some of you, like for being somebody that can walk into an area, identify the areas that need opportunity and be able to fix it. But it wasn't me, though. It was the methods that I was using. It was the principles so I decided that I wanted to share this with, with as many people as possible. I developed the first Lean Six Sigma curriculum and certification for Amazon. Um, I partnered with the University of Tennessee in Knoxville to kind of oversee it. And I launched it within two years. We've trained um, over 600 leaders. I've taken it to 18 different organizations. And we've saved over $27 million in annual cost savings from utilizing these principles and I, I recently did something crazy. Um, I was a site leader with Amazon, meaning I was over a, a full site with all the responsibility of profit and loss. Um, we were annually taking in over $100 million in revenue. And I walked away from this beautiful opportunity to follow my passion and help share these philosophies with as many companies that will listen. So that's kind of what I'm doing today. I call myself a coach slash consultant. Um, so I walk into companies, I help people see these philosophies. I coach them through utilizing them. And then I don't leave until they're actually being implemented in a successful way. 
So is there any chance that somebody will hire you and along the way they'll get at least one karate lesson? You know what? I do study <laughs> martial arts and you would not believe the, the similarities, which we'll probably talk about it in this podcast, the similarities of martial arts, excellence, and just success in life. And I think that's why Japanese, they have this mindset of this continuous improvement and being challenged and tested and excelling. And that's probably what's made this so special because it was really driven by the founder of Toyota, Taichi Ono, who really came up with the lean methodology. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's let's rewind for a second back to um, you said you were in the military. And so I guess my first question there is, was that a, uh, a willful choice? Was that a push from parents? Like what, what, what led you to, to step into the military? Yeah, that's, I, I appreciate you asking that. To me, my military experience is really the foundation of who I am today. Um, like talking about family, I grew up with a single mom who was 100% disabled wow. um, with three of us kids, um, kind of a rough background. And my entire life, I wanted to grow up to be successful, to be a business owner, to do something pretty phenomenal. Um, my senior year, though, was 2011, sorry, 2001 going into 2002, and 9-11 hit. And that rocked my world. Um, I, I couldn't just stand by and see these things happen and not take part in it. And as much I got into some great colleges and I was planning on graduating my senior year and pursuing my ambitions, but I could not stop thinking about the military. And even going to ROTC and coming in as, a, as an officer was an option. But with our, our brothers and sisters being deployed right then, I couldn't not stand back. So I enlisted immediately. Um, I joined the 10th Mountain Division. I had two combat tours. I went to Afghanistan for 10 months and Iraq for a year. I graduated from the United States Army Rangers School. And everything I learned in the military has really just been that foundation for success when it comes to standardized work, when it comes to discipline, when it just comes to servant leadership. I think everything that I am now is attributed to the experience I had in that, in that kind of environment. And so you said you were a ranger. I went through ranger school. Wow. Yeah. And so... Tell me a little bit about that. So again, like I, I have never been in the military. I think a lot of people look at that as like a form of modern day punishment, right? In some sense, you know, going into the military, right? Even when I asked you, you yeah. know, was it, were you forced into it? Did you choose? But here you are in, in just an extremely challenging environment at probably, I mean, definitely for us in our generation, the, uh, just the, the hardest or most challenging time as a country, right? We're defending now our own borders and not knowing what's going to happen next. And so you step into this uh, and go through boot camp, which is already hard enough. But then you go on to something like ranger school, which is that just on steroids. And so what was some of that environment like for you? And kind of how did, um, how did that help continue to shape? Because you said like that was the foundation for you. So what were some of the... Uh, or how did some of the struggles shape? If you have particular ones, great. If not, that's fine. But how did those shape who you are today? Yeah, I, again, I think it all comes down to servant leadership. I think there's a big common misconception with the military. They think that just because you're in the military, you have to follow orders. So I want you to, like, to try to imagine with me, you're sitting outside a hostile environment and somebody tells you to go kick down a door, enter that building, and there's probably a whole bunch of, you know, hostile individuals with armed with weapons who want to kill you sitting inside waiting for you. Yeah. Are you going to enter that building just because they told you to go? 
it, it doesn't work like that. No. Like that's not life, right? right. Like you're going to say, dude, you're crazy. I'm not going to, you go, right? right? That's not, that's not leadership. So when it comes to servant leadership, the reason why we are so phenomenal at what we do is because as leaders, we, we bleed, we sweat, we toil with, with a team. We spend countless hours and hours training, doing the same standard work over and over and over again until it's precision. And as a leader, you know that you're the first person to hit that ground and you'll do whatever it takes. And as a person kicking down a door, you know that there's somebody right behind you that is willing to give their life for you. So that gives you the confidence to move forward. That gives you that ability to, to no matter what you're facing, that, that strength to, to push forward through any obstacle. Um, Ranger school is a very interesting time. So I just got back from Afghanistan. My wife um, is now pregnant. Okay, so it's our first child. I know that I'm going to Iraq at the summertime. I don't get a lot of time to spend with my family. And there's a lot of training that takes place to, to ramp you up for that kind of deployment. But I knew that Iraq was going to be a very different challenge than what I just faced. And I was a brand new, I was a very young leader. I think I was like 20 years old at the time. And I knew that a lot of the old senior leadership was leaving to go to different units, that a lot was going to be asked from me. So I, I volunteered to go to Ranger School for the main purpose of developing my leadership so I can take care of my men overseas. Wow. And it was a two-month ordeal, and it's not as bad as everyone thinks. Like, I think there's a lot more hype, too. I remember watching the graduation, <laughs> and they make all these explosions and everything at the graduation. I remember looking over at my buddy and saying, hey, we never did any of that. <laughs> it looks cool, but we didn't really do that. Or I might have been sleeping or droning during the time. But one huge takeaway from Ranger School, I remember during our mountain phase, now we're just dog tired. I think that's the only thing is you just go without food and just walk and walk and walk with a ton of weight forever. It seems like forever. But I remember it was at the end of our mountain phase. I was walking up this big mountain and I was carrying um, a very large machine gun with a lot of ammo because some of the guys on my team were really tired. And I just remember like just volunteering. That was my goal was to volunteer to do as much as I could to serve my, my brothers out there and just to try to develop myself. And I remember just feeling down like, man, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm hungry. But as I was walking up this, this hill, I saw myself pass somebody, and I passed somebody else, and I passed somebody else. And all of a sudden, I looked, looked up, and I looked. Everyone's heads are just down, look, facing the ground, facing their boots. And here I am just walking and passing everybody up. And now I'm starting to encourage people, hey, man, keep your head up. We got this. We only got another day left or one night left, right? And I just I, something changed inside of me. And I think this is what happens to people at Ranger School. You learn that you can push yourself further than you ever imagined. Huh. When you hit 15% pain threshold, your body tells you to stop. That's only 15%. The military, they try to teach you how to operate more at that 80%, right? 100% is death. You never want to go that far. Yeah. But you learn that you can push yourself so far mentally. And by doing so, you are empowered to lift others. And, and you're, you're now that beacon, right, for people to kind of follow and that was a huge takeaway is I learned deep down what I have inside of me, how much grit, how much resolve I have. And by utilizing that with an optimist kind of positive attitude, you're able to lift other people. And because of that, they'll follow you. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, there's so many things that you said that are just so unbelievable to me and servant leadership, which I want to get back to and a team behind you to support you. But I think one thing that you just said that is just it's so important to me and I think it's something that is so often lost because we're looking to be, to be motivated in the moment but it's this idea of I can go so much farther than I think I can right and that's 
kind of counterintuitive to like this power of positive thinking, which we live in this, uh, which I just, I'm not in love with. It's like, if I just put my mind to it, I can do it. I don't think it's that, right? It's like, it's truly understanding uh, where my thresholds are. And so, you know, when you say, you know, 15% and then you can go so much farther, I really wish that there were ways and, and maybe there are, but I wish there were ways outside of things like the military to teach people that, like I even think to my 16 year old, right? Like the, their coach's way of motivating them to do more is just to yell and scream at them, yeah, you know? Exactly. And and that's not helpful, right? Like no. we've got to get into somebody's head and get them to believe that that's, if that pain is real, it's very temporary and it's probably much less than what we think it is. And so I can go so much farther. And then that just translates into business so much, right? It's like people would give up um, a lot less a lot less frequently if they really understood that it's not as bad as they think it is, right? Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I was actually with a dental group yesterday doing some team building with them. And it's definitely not like ranger school. Like I, <laughs> I would love to take people through ranger school, right? Or a, a simulation of that. But I'm sitting here with a dental group and I'm doing a team building exercise and it's teaching them continuous improvement. And I take these three balls and it's like a little game. And I, we do one scenario and they find out how efficient it was to pass around these three balls. And it's awful, right? It's There's chaos, there's confusion. And then I give them about a minute, we'll regroup and figure out how you can make it more efficient and better, right? And so they went from 32 seconds, they got it down to 10 seconds. And then I think their office manager, she was really jive. She's like, I bet we could do better than that, right? So they do it again, they got five seconds. And I looked around and everyone was completely satisfied with that. And I said, hey, you guys think five seconds is really good? They're like, oh yeah, it's awesome. And I said, well, the dental group down the street got it done in one second. And they were like, what? I'm like, well, not really, right? But a group I, I recently worked with, they were able to get down to one second. And so just knowing that that, that was possible, yeah. they brought themselves together and they brainstormed. And sure enough, they found out an even more efficient way of doing it. And they finished this task within one second. It was 1.12, right? And then afterwards, I sat back and, and talked about, I mean, we talked about eliminating waste. But the biggest takeaway I wanted them to, to, to realize was Things are, are up to your imagination. I yeah. think Henry Ford said it best. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Right, right, right. You know, so if you know that there's an opportunity out there, if you know you can get this done in one second, you're going to push yourself to the max. But if you think that five seconds is the best you can do, you leave it there. Yeah. And that's what developing that continuous mindset of improvement and that strive for excellence really is, is just knowing that, you know what, you don't even know the, the true ideal. The ideal is perfection, and we should be working towards that perfection constantly. Yeah, yeah. Knowing we can't achieve perfection, like a a guy that I follow, he's a CrossFit uh, coach of some of the elite athletes, and uh, he says that you know, in our pursuit of perfection, we achieve excellence. And I'm sure he ripped it that's off from great. somebody else, yeah, right? That's great, though. <laughs> that's a that, that's nothing new, but um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that threshold. It's funny, like for me in my own life, and so one place I always attribute this to, it's because it can easily be measured, is in the gym. So again, like. I'm not the strongest athlete in the gym. I'm not the fastest athlete in the gym. Like there are guys that are so much better than me, but where I notice I'm able to, to get really close to them, still not, you know, being able to outpace them, but where I can get really, really close is in the places when we get into like this deep, dark place of like what we perceive as pain in the moment, whether it is or not. And I am able to either hold that threshold or push beyond it when other people kind of quit, right? And quitting may just be resting for 10 or 15 seconds, but so much is lost as you talk about inefficiency. And so I love that. Like I'm always trying to help people to see inside of themselves. You can do so much more than you believe you can. 
but you're either too worried about what's in your own head or what's out of your control. And so, you know, focusing on, you know, just, just overcoming those things, man, can make people so much better. It's just unbelievable to me. That, that's the excellence mindset. Yeah. You know, I love that though. So, okay. So define that. How would you, for yourself, uh, not a dictionary definition, but how would you define excellence in your own life? All right. I'm going to steal it <laughs> because it resonates so well with me. Um, Aristotle, one of my favorite philosophers, uh, he, he's coined with saying, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but it's a habit. Yeah. And that is everything that I truly believe in. It's like going back to the military, the reason why we were so successful, the reason why my, me and my team were so successful is all those hours we spent doing the same thing over and over and over again. The reason why your shot group is so tight is because you shoot so many rounds and you work on that perfection with your trigger pull or trigger squeeze actually, right? Is everything you do and it takes so much time and dedication, but when you're willing to put in that work and effort, you are able to create a habit of excellence. Huh. And then excellence is everything that you are and everything that you do. And like you're talking about in the gym, those are the best ways. You can't go to ranger school, but you can push yourself mentally in the gym. Yeah. Those are the best ways to exercise that mental ability of going beyond your limits. And you can do it at work. Um, there are so many things that you can do. But if you want to be excellent in something, it has to be a habit. You can't think because you did it for one year, you're going to excel at it. Mal Malcolm Gladwell said in his book, um, Outliers, that it takes 10,000 hours of doing something correctly. Right? Bruce Lee, right? Getting back to martial arts, he says he would much rather have somebody or, you know, I forget exactly how I said, but uh, somebody who's kicked a thousand times and knows a thousand different kicks. It's that repetition. It's that habit of being excellent. Okay. So, so this then like pulls me back into what you said earlier, because I think this translates so far into business today. So you said earlier that uh, in the military, um, you, you were confident in your leader's willingness to be a servant first, right? To, to lay it down, to do whatever it took. But the other thing that you said was, was the confidence to know that the guy behind you was willing to risk his life for you. Now that could not have been a confidence based upon the fact that he just said, I got you, Robert, I'm going to make sure that nothing happens to you. Your confidence had to be a lot in the fact that you watched him do all those things, Right. You lived it with them. Yeah. I, I mean, we really were living in tents together, right? We're spending more time with each other than with our own families. And then there's something to be said with an in a business environment of those team building exercises, working with each other, trusting each other's work, knowing each other's weaknesses and strengths and utilizing them. Um, I'll give you a quick, quick example. And the reason why I show this is it's really shaped who I am and it just kind of came to mind. So hopefully it's not a large tangent, but Sergeant Lewis, Sergeant Dwayne P. Lewis. All right. This gentleman is like the epitome of excellence. And he 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 he's shaped everything when it comes to my own character. Um, he grew up in Queens. Okay. And try to imagine this gentleman, 22 inch biceps with a 30 inch waist, and he can run like the wind. Now, our platoon in our unit and our battalion was really well known for being excel like excellent in physical condition. We would always be selected to go and do these big competitions against other units. And Sergeant Lewis was always there in the front. I remember one time we were doing one competition. There were seven of us on that team. And I think I remember watching him push a Humvee up the hill by himself. Huh. This guy was an absolute animal. And everyone knew him. Our Sergeant Major Comancho would be yelling 100 meters around um, the wood line during a train exercise. Hey, Big Lou, is that you? Like, hey, Big Lou, is that really you? 
Like everyone just knew him and loved him. And we deployed to Afghanistan together. And this gentleman, he would carry more weight than anybody just to lighten the load of his soldiers. He would, um, he would do extra hours of guard at night so his soldiers can get an extra hour of sleep. Wow. One time we went about 36 hours without any food or water and because they kept messing up our resupply. And what they would do is they would drop um, a whole bunch of food and water in a body bag off the helicopter. And just imagine, so this is between that 36 hours. They're finally come. They found our position. We're all excited. They push these two body bags full of food and you just watch it fall down the cliff. And then it hits the side of the cliff and it explodes. Oh. And you're just sitting there starving like, dude, this really sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this really sucks. Yeah. Sergeant Lou and another soldier actually scaled as far down as they could on that mountain to grab and scrounge up any food that they can. And he didn't have one bite. He gave everything to his team. And then fast forward to our deployment in Iraq. Now we're in a different unit. He went to a different platoon as a, as a leader. And one night on a combat mission, he was doing a reconnaissance mission. Him and his squad, a squad leader usually positions himself in between the two teams, so better command and control. He had a bad feeling, and he just knew something was wrong. So he stopped his team, and he told the front the point man, which is his team leader, to stop, and he was going to take point and for him to walk back. And sure enough, not even like a minute or two later, Sergeant Luke goes around a corner, and he was engaged by enemy fire, and he was killed in action. But because of what he did, his entire squad was preserved. He gave them enough time to be able to find cover, react, and the, to eliminate the threat. Um, but I lost, I lost my best friend. And I've lost several friends over in Iraq. So when, when you talk about just knowing, you know, that the person in front of you, behind you, are willing to give your life, like it's, it's true because you have worked together so much that there's a brotherly love there. And he was willing to lay down his life for his team. And ever since then, like he, he's still alive inside of me. And I, I actually share this with my, with my sites, with Amazon, with my teams um, around Memorial Day. Cause I want people to understand that this is my style of leadership. And this is what I truly believe. In. And I want other people to kind of see Sergeant Lou and feel Sergeant Lou and use his example in their daily lives. When you're working in an environment, the worst thing you can do is think about yourself, right? We should be focused on our customers. We should be focused on developing the team, on bettering the organization. How do we add value rather than thinking about how we can gain value for ourselves? When you can create a culture with that kind of mindset, there is no limit to the success that your organization will receive because success is a virtuous cycle. The more that you can serve one another, the more successful you'll be as a team. The more you can be successful as a team, the more you'll be able to serve your customers. And the more successful you are serving your customers, the more customers you're going to get. And it just feeds that cycle until ultimately you reach that, that perfection, that true success of what you were able to reach or you know, like actually do. Yep. First, I'm so sorry to hear that. And I mean, I, I know it's been years, but I'm sure that in some sense, you know, it's still just as hard today as it was then. And, you know, that's like you said, one of many. Um, but I think what, is so great is you were able to take something that was so hard and really use that to leapfrog, right. Or to launch you into this next stage of life. Um, and, and I think that, you know, when you attributed that to business, you know, it's like, we hear everybody talking about being customer centric and customer first. And to be honest with you, like, it's just a crock. Right. I mean, you know, it it's so easy to say and, and yet it is so 
it's so hard to do. Um, and so I love that you're really pressing into the companies that you're working for and, you know, trying to build that culture, you know, with, within them. I just, I think we need so much more of that and it's missing. It's probably missing more today than it has ever been before. And I think my own opinion as to why that is, is because success is so greatly desired. And unfortunately for most people, that the idea of success is shaped by what we see somebody else achieving. And, and that's typically financial, glamorous, right? Big and boisterous. And so that ends up just totally screwing up um, any chance we have of truly being a servant, right? Yeah. Serving a customer and serving our people, which you said in there too, right? Serving your people is so key to then better serving the client. And I think a lot of companies, leaders miss that, right? You forget that. You forget that your team is your first customer, Without your team, there's no value added to the customer. Something that you said, though, is spot on, and I've seen it a lot, is people's idea of success is not correct. Okay? And I liken this. So I'm a rock climber. And again, like military, rangers, like I just love challenging myself and being outdoors. I want, and if anyone who's listening, like, if you don't believe me, like, just test it. True success is not reaching the mountaintop or the, or the top. And a lot of times you feel the success there because you're able to reflect. Now, when you climb a, a very tall mountain, man, you are, you're struggling. You're slipping. You're twisting your ankle. You got weight on your back. You're, you're thirsty. Like you're experiencing all this turmoil, turmoil, right? But you're pushing yourself to the goal and you're pushing and pushing. Once you get to the top, absolutely, I love the view. But what I love even more, what gives me even more intrinsic value is a look down at the route that I just walked yeah. up to see the route and remember every footstep and every experience that I had and to treasure it. Like that journey is the success for me. I talked to a lot of my younger leaders um, who I work with, you know, in Amazon and elsewhere. And, you know, they want to be the CEO or they want to get promoted and they want to get this huge pay raise. And I, I try to explain to them that that's not correct, that that's not what success is. If you're successful, those things will happen. Those things will be attracted to you. You're going to get a promotion. You're going to get all this, you know, different kind of revenue because you're being successful. But the true success is every single day adding value and being a contributor and doing something that no one else has done, being an innovator, uh-huh. right? When you're able to do that, you can look back at your career, at that journey and say, man, look at all the stuff I was able to create. As human beings, that's the one thing that separates us from all the other intelligence is we can create. And to me, that's my greatest intrinsic value. That's where I deem the most successful. When I'm able to create something that's just phenomenal or accomplish something or push through something that I never thought was possible. Yeah. <clears throat> when you said, you know, it, it's the process, right? It's the path to get to the goal, we'll call it. Uh, I wish more people would, would really take that for what it is. Um, so... You probably know, right? I'm a pastor of a church too. And so I'm like constantly encouraging people in this area. And and, and here, I think it's even harder. In, in that space, it's even harder because it's like uh, over and over again, uh, we see uh, the Bible say that like people will experience a trial, a tribulation, uh, and that even in all that, God works all these things together for good. And so people think like, yeah, the good is like when I come out the other side and like, you know, I've... I've made it through the trial or I've overcome the obstacle. Um, and, and I think like, no, no, no. Like 
uh, uh, Ryan Holiday wrote a book recently, uh, The Obstacle is the Way. I don't know if you've read it, but he talks about this a lot. It's like, no, no, no. The obstacle in the way, like that is like that, that is the most typically or oftentimes the most important part of it all is how you experience that, right? The, how you're shaped as you experience that trial, that suffering, that challenge, that hardship. And, and we miss that because we're too busy focused on the end goal. And then when we get to the end, unfortunately, a lot of times, instead of taking a look back like you do, it's like, okay, where's the next mountain, right? Where's the taller one? Where's the harder one? It's like, well, wait a minute. You totally missed the opportunity yeah. to learn all about all these great things you've done, the good and the bad, right? You missed the joy of oh, experiencing my it. Gosh. Yeah, you there's and there's so much joy that comes out of that. Like not just happiness, but true joy that comes from accomplishing all those small goals that led to that big goal. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that more people are gonna get to the end of their life and just throwing up their hands wondering what the heck happened in their life because all they were doing was chasing the next, you know, the next end point. Like you said, like your wife is pregnant, right? So you have kids. How old is, how old are your kids? My oldest just turned 13. Okay. And so 13, this is where, you know, you, you really capture this more uh, than, you know, younger is you see how fast things go, yeah. right? So when we're new parents, it's like, man, I can't wait until they can hold their head up on their own. I can't wait until they can crawl, they can walk, they can eat, they can talk, they can do their own things till they can uh, drive till they, you know, like <laughs> till they're independent. And then like, I have a 16 year old, I'm like, where's my baby? Yeah. Right. Like I, I wanted all these next steps and I missed this whole cycle of her growing up and experiencing all these things. And I just think it's a shame because I think that for most of us, that's our life. Right. Like we're just we're so focused on the next step, the next achievement, which is great. Like, let's keep our head looking forward and continue to keep trying to grow and achieve for us and for other people. But if we're missing out on all that's happening in the midst of that, I think we've missed probably the most important part of our whole life. It's gone like that. Yeah. And and to follow up with that, it's important to find joy in the journey. Yes. And, and I think it goes both ways. If you're not challenging yourself, if you're not challenging to have new experiences, you're, you're not going to have joy. But then again, if you're doing all this stuff and you're not actually enjoying that journey, when you get to the end result, it's not going to mean anything to you. So, yeah, absolutely. Like you have to constantly push yourself, but never forget to reflect. Look at those footsteps that you're going through. Look at those handholds. Every time you rip your hands open on that next little rock wall. Like that's a, that's a war wound that you're proud of, right? Yeah. That's just something that you earned that you can't earn any other way. So you have to be a doer, but you also have to learn from doing and enjoy that journey. Man, there were so many quotable and tweetable moments in what you <laughs> statements in what you just said. I, lo I loved it all. Okay. So you built up all this resiliency uh, and, uh, and, and commitment in the midst of being in the army and being successful in business and raising a child and here you step out onto your own and so as you look forward what do you think you fear the most about this new season of life for yourself yeah so fear is important fear keeps you sharp i learned this in the military you never want to have no fear because fear will keep you alive yeah right it helps it helps you stay very sharp and dedicated to the task at hand so it's healthy to have fear um, I don't fear failure because to me, there, there's only three options. You either succeed or you learn or true failure is not doing either one of those other two. Uh -huh. Right. So I don't feel fear failure. 
but I fear not catching the opportunities um, like I should and be able to take advantage of them. That's that's one reason why I just jumped into this this new venture of mine is I, I, at the age of 32, I was a site leader for Amazon, um, you know, $100 million you know, in revenue each year. Like to me, that that was a mountaintop. That was a huge success at the age of 32. Like who would have thought that somebody like me would have been able to accomplish that? But the, I looked at the more advancement that you get with Amazon and Amazon's a phenomenal company. Like I, I continue to look forward to doing business with them. But I don't know if that was the exact route that would have brought me that intrinsic value throughout my life. Because um, the more you get higher up, as next is regional director and then go up, you're traveling so much more and you don't get to spend much in that day-to-day operation. I'm taking a leap of faith. Amazon has been very, very good to me. So I have a, a, a good savings built up. So now I'm, I'm going to take a leap of faith and see how much fun I can have by teaching these principles of success, by teaching this continuous improvement, this Lean Six Sigma methodology for other companies and giving myself doing something that I really love and being a teacher right now that I feel that I've done so much with it on the practical side, I've been able to show with Amazon that I can teach it. Well, now this is the greatest test. Now I'm going to challenge myself. How can I do it as an entrepreneur and how can I, how effective can I truly be at walking in different environments, being able to identify those opportunities very quickly and be able to give them the, the best rev like avenue of approach to fix those problems. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of confidence in myself, which, you know, that, I guess that's the greatest fear is I'll walk into a challenge and I won't know how to solve it. But again, you rely back on your training and there's always a way to solve a problem. Like problems are there for us to learn and to grow as a treasure, right? So that, that fair, it does keep me sharp though, in the sense that I'm constantly trying to improve myself. Um, I'm a huge reader. I'm a huge studier. Um, I learn from other environments and different industries. So that, I guess that's in a nutshell, my greatest fear is not being able to solve that problem, but you overcome that by working your, your little butt off as hard as you can so yep. that you can solve those problems. Yeah. And I heard something on a podcast the other day, which it, it maybe have been the first time I've heard it just said so bluntly that I loved and he said um, one of the best ways to gain creative credibility with the people that you work for, or in this sense, he was talking about coaching, but really in, in any environment like that, the one of the best ways to gain credibility is to be honest when you don't know, because then that way they know that you don't think you know everything. And so then the things you do speak to that you say you confidently do know, they can trust that you know. Yeah. And, and I love that because, you know, as a consultant too, right. And coaching people, I get, there's things get thrown in my front of my face sometimes. And I'm like, I don't know what the heck to do. And so sometimes I have connection to the right person. Like, you know, now I'm building this relationship with you. Like I'm super excited because I get into environments where I'm like, Oh my gosh, somebody needs to clean their business up. And I feel like, you know, there are a lot of opportunities that I would be able to refer your way. And so when I have things like that, I can, I can refer them out to somebody. So there's a lot of confidence and, and thankfulness when I can do that. Um, but sometimes I just need to be willing to say, I just don't know. Right. And that's hard. I think that that's something that it takes a lot of maturity and I don't like to call myself mature because <laughs> I think that I just get uh, thrown an opportunity to be really immature uh, within the next few minutes. Um, but I think that that takes a lot of maturity and learning and growth. But the more that we do that, I think just the better than we become in the art of whatever it is we're practicing, right? No, that's that's level five leadership, right? You have to have fierce resolve and humility. And humility is being able to say, hey, I, I don't know, or I was wrong. Yeah. You know, and if without that humility, there's really no continuous improvement, right? Yeah. So that, that's, that's key. I love that, what you said about what you heard on that podcast. That's beautiful. 
All right. So one simple question, maybe super complex. Best book you've read or read recently? You've, you've referenced a lot. I know you read a lot. Yeah. A huge, man, there are so many fantastic books out there. Um, I'll go with the recent one. Is that all right? Yeah. And the reason, so there's, these are my favorite types of books. But um, Ray Dalio, the founder of Bridgewater, he wrote a book called Principles. And what's so beautiful is that he he truly believes in continuous improvement. He uses a lot of these methodologies that were founded by Toyota and, and beyond. Mm-hmm. And he's used it in a different industry, in the financial industry. And talk about humility and when you're wrong, he, he openly admits how many times he's been wrong in investing and how he's created a structure that will one, mitigate the risk for being wrong, but two, learn from every one of those mistakes so you don't repeat it. Hmm. Um, if, if you want an example of somebody who's built excellence in everything that he does and in his environment, his, his organization, the principles that he shares in that book are just are spot on. Um, and again, if anyone wants to read a fantastic book about lean, read the book, The Toyota Production System by Taiichi Ono, the founder of it. Um, when you learn from these founders who've been able to innovate and do fantastic things in their organization, they are the example and they have something in common. They innovate, they work, they learn all those things. They just compiled in their culture that they build. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I even think just talking about books, you know, you gave me that book uh, on the mend. Uh, yeah, and I think it's great too, because, um, which was a fantastic way, by the way, for you to educate other people on kind of what you do. Um, it really helped me to gain a good understanding because it was in the healthcare space, which I understand to some degree. And, and but what I really loved is, is it was the humility, uh, that you guys were advocating for. Like you have to be humble enough to admit that you don't do everything right. And, and humble enough to, to then step into things like these unknown ideas and implement new things because uh, there is a greater good that you will accomplish as the result. So I just, I love that whole methodology. Um, I, I, I love where uh, the space that you're in and learning more about it. I mean, I just think that I work for tons of, or tons, I've worked for plenty mm-hmm. of companies. Uh, both as a consultant and as an employee, where boy, oh boy, they could have used a lot of getting lean because there's a lot of fat to trim off, right? Yeah, and it's not are. just in big organizations. We think a lot of times that it's only these big corporations when sometimes the small businesses are the ones that are the messiest because they're just piling all kinds of stuff on top of each other. And you can have the greatest idea, but if you can't build that system that can create that idea on a mass scale... Then, then it's really not what it, it's not reaching its potential. And that's yeah. the neat thing about Lean Six Sigma is it helps small or big organizations do that. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I think we're uh, up on time. And uh, so, Robert, thank you so much. Uh, uh, military uh, a supporter and servant. I just think that uh, that is just amazing. And uh, I wish people could see uh, the, the passion and belief that you have behind not only what you did, but I'm sure – uh, what our men and women are still continuing to fight for today at a time when we're just in this crazy politically yeah. challenged environment that we're in. So I love that and appreciate that. So thank you for your service and all that you've endured and, you know, things that probably people will never know or understand. Um, I am uh, excited for what you're doing now. I think that uh, there's a lot of organizations that 
definitely can use what you're doing. And I feel like um, you just are very genuine in what in, in what you say you're going to do. And I'm excited to see what that's going to look like. Uh, and uh, we'll have to get caught up again sometime because I'm sure there's going to be a lot more to talk about. So. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Ryan. And just for our listeners, if you want to learn a little bit more, um, check out my website, leancoach.com. Yeah, and I'll make sure to put uh, your link to your LinkedIn profile, website, and the show notes, and so that way people can uh, can check you out there too. That'd be great. So thank you so much. Another episode of Excellence Mindset is in the books. Check it out. To, uh, listen, leave a review. Positive one would be great, and I'll catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.